0: Uh, Welcome again to Faith. My name is Mike. I am one of the pastors on staff here with James and some others. Good to have all of you with us who are here in person, everybody who is uh, joining us online today as well. We're glad to be with you. And as James mentioned, we are in the final week of a series that we have entitled Burned. And we've entitled this series that way because in the series we are just kind of walking through, Hey, um, how is it that we should respond when we feel burned by another person? And uh, it's interesting, uh, whenever we talk about what the Bible has to say about something like this, I inevitably have two kinds of conversations with two different groups of people after church on a given Sunday. And the first group of people usually will come and try and explain to me why what we're talking about doesn't apply to them. Uh, Because their burn story is so bad that what we've been talking about, that's great for you, but it doesn't apply to them. And uh, the ironic thing about that is that the worse your burn story is, the more what we're talking about applies to you. The other group of people, though, are usually folks who have some um, really helpful questions where they're trying to make some distinctions and they're trying to get some clarification about how they should respond in certain circumstances. And I had three different uh, conversations this past weekend about clarification. I thought, all right, it's probably worth taking a couple minutes and clarifying. And so uh, as we talk about how we respond to getting burned, I find it helpful to think of it in three separate ways. The first one being forgiveness, the second one being reconciliation, and the third one being trust. Now with forgiveness, basically what you have going on is um, if somebody burns me and I forgive them, I'm releasing them of what they owe me. See, when somebody does something to us, there's this sense they owe us something. They owe us an apology, they owe us restitution, they owe us something. And with forgiveness, I release you of whatever it is I think you owe me. I also release my right to pay you back for what you did. Now, here's the thing with forgiveness. Forgiveness, if you're a follower of Jesus, this isn't an option. You just read the words of Jesus, he is super clear. Forgiveness is something we're commanded to do. And forgiveness isn't about feelings it isn't i don't have to feel like forgiving you to forgive you forgiveness is a choice i choose to release you of what you owe me i choose to release my right to pay you back and and with forgiveness like i don't need you to do this like if you come and own what you did to me it's nice it makes releasing you a lot easier but forgiveness really can be one-sided. I can forgive you whether you're present or not. I can choose to release you whether you own your thing or not. So, so you have forgiveness, right? And then you have reconciliation. And while forgiveness can happen with just one person, you've got to have two people for reconciliation to take place. Reconciliation is when you come and you own what you did and we seek to restore that relationship with one another again. And then finally you have trust. And trust is about making myself vulnerable to you again. Trust is when I I take down the, the, the appropriate boundaries that I've put up. And I put myself in a place where you could burn me again. Now, on any given Sunday, you'll only let me talk for so long. And on any given series, we can only do it so long before you lose interest, all right? So you can only cover so much ground. And so what we have done in this series is we have focused almost exclusively on the first aspect, on forgiveness, on Paul saying to Philemon, hey, you need to forgive Onesimus. And here's why, and here's what's at stake, and this is what it's going to cost you, and this is why you should be willing to pay that price anyway. And so if, if over the course of the series you've been like, you know, I really feel like, like they're telling me I'm supposed to forgive the person who burned me. Yes, <laughs> that's the idea. You caught it, all right? Now, c- reconciliation, trust, could those things be appropriate with that person? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. It depends on the person and, and some of the other factors that go into this equation. And if you're sitting there and you're going, well, I want to know. Not this series, you know. Come back for another series, another time. We'll cover it. And you are like, well, I need to know now. Uh, our pastoral staff, their email addresses, their phone numbers, they're in the bulletin. Get a hold of them. Take them out. Buy them coffee. They'd be happy to sit down with you, hear your story, and help you think through whether reconciliation and, and, and trusts are appropriate things with what you're facing right now or not. So that, that by way of, you know, kind of, hey, give me some clarification. There it is. Uh, now, by way of review, if you weren't here the last couple weekends or if you were here the last couple weekends and you just tuned me out and ignored me, uh, here's where we've been and what we've done. We've been looking at the New Testament book of Philemon, this little book buried deep in your New Testament, and it's written by the Apostle Paul to his, his, his friend, a his, uh, guy who he mentored spiritually, a really good guy who's following Jesus named Philemon. That's right, I, and, and Paul's writing this letter because he's concerned. He's concerned about how Philemon is going to respond to being burned by a guy who's enslaved to him named Onesimus. And if, and if in today's climate you hear the, the term enslavement and, and you just get all bristled up and you, you're like, oh, how, how in the world do you reconcile the fact that you know Philemon's supposed to be following Jesus? He said he's a good guy and he's got his slave. We talked about this the last couple weekends. And we pointed out, if you weren't here, it's worth listening to because we describe more in detail how you reconcile these things. But basically, we said that slavery as it worked in the first century Greco-Roman world and slavery as we understood it in our country's past, while it's the same term, you have two radically different institutions. It's not an apples-to-apples kind of comparison. In the first century, slavery could save a person from starvation, from being homeless, from being indebted beyond their ability to pay. It could provide a person with um, an, an, an income. It could provide a person with an education, with a marketable skill. People who were enslaved could actually pay off their debts, earn enough money to purchase their own freedom and purchase their own slaves if they wanted to do that. None of those kind of factors were present in slavery as we understood it in our country's past. Same term to very different institutions. So, you have Philemon, who brings Onesimus into his home, makes him a part of his business. And and Onesimus, he does a lousy job, by his own admission, does a lousy job at the roles that he is assigned to. And eventually, he takes advantage of Philemon's trust, takes a bunch of his money, skips town, heads to Rome, and he's going to start a new life there off of Philemon's dime. And Philemon feels burned by that. And when Onesimus gets to Rome, against all odds... Onesimus runs into Paul, Philemon's personal friend and spiritual mentor. And and as Onesimus gets to know Paul, he just cannot shake the fact that Paul is just not what he expected. Because Onesimus has run away to Rome to be free, and here's Paul, and Paul is under house arrest, and he is in chains. And Onesimus just doesn't understand, how is this guy more free than me? I am my own master. I am calling my own shots. I've got money to buy what I want. I'm in a town where the motto is, if it feels good, do it. And this guy's got freedom that I cannot find no matter how far I run. And eventually, Onesimus realizes Paul has spiritual freedom. A freedom that that no set of circumstances that no person can take from him. A freedom that's found in a life surrendered to Jesus. And so Onesimus He commits his life to Christ, and he dives into ministry with Paul, and as Paul and Onesimus get to know one another, some of the relational dots get connected, and they realize, like Onesimus and Paul and Philemon, they all know each other, and and Onesimus' past comes out, and, and Paul's like, I'd love to keep you here doing ministry with me, but I cannot do this behind Philemon's back. That's not okay. And you two have unfinished business. You need to get figured out together. And so Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossia with a letter in his hand that's become known as the book of Philemon. And in that letter, Paul asks Philemon to say no to the very real temptation to go bitter and resentful and vengeful towards Onesimus and to instead say yes to mercy and grace, and forgiveness, and reconciliation, that's right, and so each week what we've done is we've kind of zoomed in on one of these three characters, and just tried to figure out, okay, what can we learn about all of this from these individuals, so today we're going to look at our last individual, Paul, but before we do, let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this, and then we'll jump in, Father, just today, Thank you that we get to be here, that we get to do this, that we get to worship you. Whether we're worshiping live, whether we're worshiping online, just help us turn our hearts as much as we can towards you and towards your truth. Father, we want to just mourn with those who are mourning. We just pray for Sue and for the Orman family as they're mourning the loss of her mom Jackie this week. We just pray for your hand of comfort, your hand of healing in their hearts, in their lives. Father, we just want to celebrate with those who are rejoicing. And as uh, so many of our seniors right now are just having graduation parties and getting ready to move on to that next phase in life, we want to rejoice with them today and in the weeks to come. And Father, we just pray that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds to you, to your truth. Help us um, just to hear from you, to see and to learn from Paul and what he would have to say to Philemon and and to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to look at Paul, and we're going to look at four imperatives that Paul gives to Philemon. Four things that Paul basically says, Philemon, you have got to do this. And we're going to look at these four imperatives because what Paul is doing with these four imperatives is he's basically taking Philemon and you and me on a journey. A a journey that kind of explains to us why it is we would choose to move towards forgiveness and grace and mercy even though it's going to cost us. Because here's the deal. You cannot extend those kind of things to another person and not have it cost you. And so with these four imperatives, Paul explains to us why we would be willing to pay that price. So we'll start with this first imperative. It comes to us in um, uh, verse 17 where Paul says, he says, So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. First imperative is welcome. Paul says, finally, Onesimus is standing here in your living room. If, if all the ministry we did back in the day together, all the, the work we did for Christ, if you really consider me your partner, I want you to welcome Onesimus the way you would welcome me. When you look at him, do it the way you would look at me. When you speak to him, speak to him the way you would speak to me. I want you to treat him the way you would treat me. Now, Paul is the guy who led Philemon to faith. Paul is the guy who discipled Philemon, was his spiritual mentor, his close personal friend. How is Philemon going to be inclined to treat Paul if it's Paul standing in his living room that day? Let me put it this way. Do you have a Paul in your life? Do you have somebody who for you, that that person is just a mentor, a friend, somebody that just has played a huge role in your life spiritually? For me, one of those people is is a guy named Bob Tissett. Bob was the executive director of Bear Lake Bible Camp for a number of decades. And just like at multiple steps in my life where I was making significant spiritual decisions, Bob was there. Like the, the, the summer after I became a Christian, Bob invited me to come up to Bear Lake and spend a summer on staff at camp. I had zero camp experience, had no idea what I was doing. He let me come up there anyway, because sometimes in camps, they just, if you've got a pulse and, and you're breathing, it's like, hey, you can work here, right? So they let me come up. I had the, one of the best summers of my life. I met my wife. It still didn't ruin my summer. Um, I met my wife up there. I fell in, I know, I know. It's just, just a little fun for my spouse, all right? Um, but I uh, met Laura up there. I, I, I fell in love with ministry up there. I got back from camp, and that was when I decided I wanted to go into full-time ministry. Just, it was a, one of the greatest summers I ever had. Or a few years later, I got my first job. I'm a young married, and I'm, I'm in my first job as a social worker, and I'm struggling in that role. And Bob invited my family to come up to camp for about a week, let us stay there for free. I met with Bob several times that week. And he just gave me counsel and perspective that helped me see that role in social work in a totally different way. And I was successful because of those conversations with Bob. Or a few years later, I graduated from seminary. And I wasn't sure what what do I want to do, where do I want to go, what what do I want to jump into next. And I remember being at camp. Sitting on a golf cart with Bob, if you know Bob, I can't tell you how many significant conversations Bob has had with people in golf carts, right? And so sitting in a golf cart with Bob, and he just kind of walked me through and helped me really think through my gifting and my call, and that conversation was huge in the first role in ministry that I took. And then you, you, you fast forward another few years, and I'm... Um, 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 Working as the interim lead pastor at the church I was an associate pastor at, and I'm trying to figure out, don't want to become a lead pastor permanently. And I had conversations with Bob that were just formational and helping me reach those decisions. Just just that each significant step in my life and spiritual journey, Bob is there. And Bob invested in me. And Bob gave me his time. And Bob believed in me. And Bob pushed me and encouraged me. And so when Bob was a guest speaker at my previous church and he'd come in from out of town, there was no way Bob was staying in a hotel. Bob was staying at my house. And I was taking Bob out to dinner and I made sure we had what he wanted for breakfast in the house that morning. And when, and when he brought his wife Nancy one time, my wife and I moved out of our room, put Bob and Nancy in our room, and we slept on the futon in the office. Cause, and it was, it was just like, that. that's what I'm gonna do because this is Bob. Paul says, hey, you're looking at Onesimus in your living room, but I want you to treat him the way you would treat me. Now, probably not too hard to imagine how Philemon maybe was inclined to respond to that on a gut level. Because he's looking at Onesimus and he's going, okay, but Paul, I get it. You want me to treat him the way I would treat you, but Paul, he's nothing like you. You, you, were, you were helpful in my life. He was useless to me. You, you invested in me. He robbed me blind. You, you, were, you were present and you had my back. He took off as soon as my back was turned. Paul, you want me to treat this guy like I would treat you, but he's nothing like you and he owes me big time. And as though Paul anticipates those objections on Philemon's part, he addresses them right away in his next imperative he goes on and he says to Philemon if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything charge it to me and that's the second imperative charge see Paul isn't denying what Onesimus did he isn't trying to sweep it under the rug he knows he knows trust has been betrayed resources has been taken abandonment has happened he's not pretending otherwise It's just that that, that Paul is saying to Philemon, hey, charge it to me. Whatever disrespect you felt, whatever way you've been violated, whatever you've been betrayed, put that on me. Whatever resources took off, put that on my bill. Whatever money was taken, put that on my tab. Charge it to me. And and at this point, Paul stops. Because his letters... The way Paul usually wrote his letters is he would dictate them. He would stand there, sit there, he would speak them out loud and somebody else would write them down. And at this point in the letter, Paul says, give me the pen, hand over the parchment. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will pay it back. Paul is guaranteeing in writing he will make good on whatever it is Onesimus owes to fine Now, just think about that if you would. Because on one hand, you have Paul who worked for Philemon's benefit. You have Paul who, who added value to Philemon's life. You had Paul who, who he, Philemon could count on him to be there. And on the other hand, you have Onesimus who worked against Paul, who who, who, robbed, who worked against Philemon, who robbed him blind, who ran out as soon as he had a chance. You, on one hand, you have Paul who is innocent? You have Paul, who's virtuous, and then you have Philemon, who's guilty and who's corrupt. Excuse me. You have Onesimus, who's guilty and corrupt, and and Onesimus he's powerless. Like he, there's nothing he can do about it. He can't take this stuff back. But Paul's not powerless, and so he tells Philemon, hey. I want to stand in his place. The punishment that he deserves, I want you to give that to me. The retribution he has coming, I want you to send that my way. Whatever he owes you, I want to pay that. And whatever reward, whatever consideration, I might deserve because of the relationship we've had. I want you to send that to him. Give me what Onesimus deserves and give Onesimus what I've earned. Now, does that sound like anybody you know? Like for some of us, that should sound familiar. Familiar. Because you see, what, what Paul is offering to do for Onesimus, that's really just what Jesus already did for Paul. It's an interesting thing. In his letters, other letters, Paul writes extensively about the theology of the cross. Like just all over his other letters, you see him write about the theology of the cross. Like in Romans, Paul will say, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or in 2 Corinthians, Paul will say, for God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. In other words, we have a debt of sin we owe to God that we are powerless to pay ourselves. And Jesus sees that. And not because of anything virtuous on our part, but because of love, Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to die in his place. The, the, The innocent in place of the guilty, the righteous in place of the unrighteous. Jesus looks at you and me and he says, you know what, the punishment for sin they deserve, give that to me and the, the, the reward for righteousness that I've earned, apply that to them. In his letter, in his letter, Paul, Paul in, in the book of Philemon, it's so fascinating, Paul never directly talks about the cross. Never, never talks about its theology the way he does in these other letters. But in the book of Philemon, the theology of the cross it comes to life and how Paul lives it out in his relationship with Onesimus. Paul's going, hey, Jesus did this for me. I'm following Jesus, so that means I'm going to do this for Onesimus. And then in not so subtle terms, Paul asks Philemon to consider what Jesus has done for him and what that means about what he should do for Onesimus. Paul expresses it this way. He says, if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it. And then he says, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Now this is kind of funny because people misunderstand Paul here, I think most folks read that and they think, well, Paul is just like, he's just mentioning and writing what he said he wouldn't mention. It's like he's holding over Philemon's head. Hey, I'm the guy who led you to Christ, so you better do what I'm asking you to do. I don't think that's what's happening there at all. Instead, I would argue in verse 18, Paul is getting prophetic. That the line between where Paul stops talking to Philemon and where Jesus begins to speak to Philemon, that line gets blurred there. That when Philemon reads, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul, that he is meant to hear the voice of Jesus who laid down his life for him. Say to him, hey, I'm just asking you to do for Onesimus what I already did for you on a far grander scale. In fact, I think what Paul says next lends itself to that. Paul says, yes, my brother, please do this favor for whose sake? The The Lord's sake. Philemon, this isn't about you and Onesimus or you and me as much as this is about you and Jesus. Jesus. Philemon, I want you to do for him what Jesus already did for you. This theology of the cross, I want it to change who you are. And then Paul goes on. He says, give me this encouragement in Christ. Encouragement is the third imperative. Let me ask you, what are the kind of things that just make your soul sing. Like if you see this thing or if you get to participate in this kind of activity, it is just good for your soul. Like a few Januarys ago, I was in California. I was there with Garth McGrath. If you don't know Garth, he's the superintendent for the regional arm of our denomination. We were at a church planters conference and um, we got done with all the programming and we had, you know, like the rest of the afternoon left and we didn't have to leave until about 11 a.m. the next day. And so Garth says to me, he says, Mike, I just, the rest of tonight, I just want to do whatever's going to make your soul sing. Whatever activity you want to do, wherever you want to go out to eat, you can pick the restaurant. What can I do to bless your soul? I said, Garth, take me surfing and feed me barbecue. And He did. And it was awesome, right? We surfed Seal Beach and we ate, we ate fam- famous days barbecue and it was good for my soul. Now, no surprise, Paul is a bit more spiritual than I am. And so when Paul says, he says, give me this encouragement in Christ, Paul is basically saying, finally, it would just make my soul sing. To see you put into practice what you say you believe. This theology of the cross that you, you've got in your head, let it leap down into your heart and ooze out into your life and into your relationships. Let it, let it change who you are and how you interact. Paul, Paul is basically saying, finally, man, nothing would feed my soul like seeing you truly live this out. Nothing would feed my soul. Like seeing, again, the theology of the cross get out of your head and into your heart and into your life. Philemon, don't just learn about this stuff. Be changed by it. Philemon, let the grace that saved you, let it shape you as well. This grace you say saved your soul. Let it shape your life, and let it shape your relationships as you move forward. See, nothing just set Paul's soul on fire like seeing people live out what they say they believed. The thing that fed Paul's soul like nothing else was seeing people become more like Jesus. And so he's saying to Philemon, I want you to be more like the Jesus who who said, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid on his life for his friends. I want to see you become more like the Jesus who, when he hung on a cross, said of those who put him there, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's been said, the moments we are most like Jesus are those when we are choosing to forgive. Forgive. Paul's telling Philemon, hey, I want to see you be like Jesus. Nothing would feed my soul more than that. And Onesimus here, he's giving you an opportunity to do that like no one else has. Let this grace that you say saved you, let it shape you in how you respond to this man who's standing before you now. Paul gives one more imperative. Number four comes in verse 22. He says, one more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Fourth imperative is prepare. And Paul's basically saying, hey, I'm praying I'm going to get out of here. Get a room ready for me because when I get out of here, I'm going to come see you and we're going to have a follow-up conversation about how all this went. Now again, I think sometimes people misunderstand Paul here. They think Paul is like threatening Philemon. You know, I'm coming, you better be ready, pal. I, I don't think it's meant to be a threat as much as it's meant to be a conversation that Paul plans on having with Philemon for his benefit. See, Paul understands what's at stake for Philemon in all of this. He understands how Philemon responds can derail him spiritually, or it can help him grow in ways he never had an opportunity to grow before. Paul understands how Philemon responds. It is the greatest apologetic for the faith that his community will see, or it will make the faith absolutely repulsive to them. Paul understands that Philemon is going to have this follow-up conversation eventually. And he wants to get him ready for it. See, the the, the follow-up conversation that Paul is going to have with Philemon, it foreshadows one that Paul knows Jesus is going to have with him. Paul expresses the idea this way. Speaking of every Christian, of every follower of Jesus, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul knows someday Philemon is going to stand before Jesus and he's going to have a follow-up conversation with Jesus about how he did at taking the theology of the cross and getting it out of his head and into his heart and into his life. And Paul cares enough. He wants to make sure Philemon's ready for that conversation, that he gets to look forward to it with a sense of anticipation and excitement rather than disappointment and dread. So he's like, hey, get, get a room ready because I care enough about you to circle back around and ask you, hey, how's this going? How'd you do? And that's how the book of Philemon ends, which leaves some of us asking, well, what the heck happened? <laughs> like, what did Philemon do? How'd he respond? Which way did he go? We don't know. It's never written and I think to some degree that's on purpose I think Paul leaves the end of Philemon's story unwritten because for you and me the end of our story the end of our burn story is still unwritten I think Paul wants us to ask not so much what did Philemon do but what am I gonna do so one last time I'll ask you Who's the Onesimus in your life? Who's the person who's left you burned and struggling with bitterness and resentment and revenge? And if you can't think of anybody, that's okay. Don't worry, the good news, life will send somebody soon. (laughs) They're coming. And when they do, when they get there, you get to decide, what am I going to say yes to and what am I going to say no to? But if that person is there already, how are you doing at letting the theology of the cross out of your head and into your heart and into your life? How are you doing at being Jesus? Jesus? to that person, doing for that person what Jesus did for you. How are you doing at letting the grace that, sh- that, that saved your soul, how are you doing at letting that grace shape your life and relationships? You see, mercy and grace and forgiveness, they're given freely, but they never come cheaply. They cost Jesus everything to extend them to us. And the truth is, they will cost us to extend them to others. But we will never be more like Jesus than we are when we choose to extend to another person mercy and grace and forgiveness. We will never be more like Jesus than we are when we're willing to pay that price on their behalf. So again, I don't know what Philemon did. Now, there are some rumors. Anybody want to hear a rumor? I'll tell you some about Philemon after church. If you catch me, I'll tell you some about Pastor James. So um, here's, here's the rumor about Philemon. Uh, Meredith is going to be back there after church. Tell me the rumor. Um, about, about 30 years after this letter is written, There's a church in Ephesus, church that was planted by Paul for a while, pastored by Paul. That church gets a new pastor. Anybody want to guess what his name is? Onesimus. That's right. Now, is that the same Onesimus we've been talking about? Did Philemon let the grace that saved him shape him so thoroughly that it poured out into Onesimus' life and transformed a runaway slave into the man who became the pastor of the church that Paul planted and pastored himself? Could be. Can't say for sure. I can say this for sure. As we live life, we're going to get burned. And when we do, We're going to choose. We're going to choose between bitterness and resentment and revenge or mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me. That we'll be the kind of people who let the grace that we say saved our souls shape our responses and our lives and our relationships. Would you stand with me and pray, church? Father, just as we wrap this series up today, again, we just want to bring to mind the Onesimus in our lives. Father, if there is someone who we are wrestling with today, just in our heads, we're just, just the temptation to go bitter and resentful and vengeful just keeps gnawing at our souls. God, we just pray for grace. Just, just a vision to see Jesus and what he did for us and how he calls us to follow him in, that, in this relationship. Father, help us to be the kind of people who let the grace that saved our souls shape our lives. And Father, if any of us are here today and we've never said yes to that grace, but we know we need to and we're ready to, Father, we just just cry out to you. As Paul, as he talked about in Romans, we've sinned. We are powerless ourselves to make that right. But we want to grab hold of Jesus, who didn't come to die for a bunch of righteous people who didn't need it, but who did the unthinkable, who came and laid down his life for the ungodly, who stood in our place so that we could be made right with God. We surrender all of who we are to him and commit ourselves to following him with our lives